Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come before you as a people in great need, a people who love the darkness more than the light. Father, I ask that this evening as we look at the text, as we worship together, that you would draw us to the light of Christ. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to believe all that you have for us. Teach us who you are, teach us who we are, that we might repent of our sins and turn to Christ. Pray that you would help us to see his glory and in his glory that we would worship and bow down. In his name we pray, amen. Well, Christmas time is often a time where we think of darkness and light and uh, you know, we have the candles uh, that have been, we've lit a different candle, uh, I should say an additional candle once a week in the Advent wreath with the anticipation of the coming of Christ that we, uh, as we looked forward, as we have looked forward this entire Advent season, it's always been with anticipation, looking forward first to the coming of Christ uh, and then uh, eventually to uh, the return of Christ uh, from where we stand this side of the cross. And we think of darkness to light, uh, we think about the very first time uh, that, that the appearance of light is recorded for us in the scriptures, and that's actually in Genesis chapter 1. The earth was formless, uh, and without, the, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. In fact, everything about creation was good. Uh, that, that God made. But it didn't take long for that creation to become corrupted by sin and rebellion. And that's what brought the darkness. The darkness that we think about, the darkness uh, that we uh, hear about in this passage is the darkness of sin. It's darkness of rebellion. The first man and, and woman disobeyed God and sin was brought into the world, uh, a sin that brought darkness, decay, death, and destruction. Its effects we still see today. But God promised a Savior. One who would bring light into the darkness. And that's exactly what we find in our passage in Isaiah chapter 9. This prophecy was given to Isaiah hundreds of years, maybe even 700 years before the birth of Christ. And yet in these words we find a picture of the promised Savior and a picture of his kingdom. We don't have to wonder who Isaiah is talking about in these verses because Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, tells us that this is uh, a Jesus. Jesus is pointed to. These words are echoed at the beginning of John's gospel that Caitlin read for us as well. That the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So I just want to give a few uh, thoughts on our passage tonight. In fact, I want to give three reasons for hope that we have in Christ from this passage and the first is that the light of Jesus Christ pierces the darkness, the darkest darkness. In Isaiah's time, the people of Israel were being confronted with great political and military upheaval. Uh, according to one commentator, it consumed all of their time and attention. They saw the political upheavals of the day as the source of their troubles and as the thing that needed their primary attention. Some then even resorted to turning to things like divination or other means necessary to try and find guidance, future. The result was that although the people looked for answers and guidance and help, 
they were thrust into darkness, into thick darkness. That's what it says in the, the passage just before in Isaiah 8, 22. The Lord, uh, uh, and uh, they will look on the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So the Lord thrust them into darkness. It was uh, part of the judgment against them. And their struggles were really no different than what we see today. Right? But there's hope. There's hope. Right? The people thought that there was no hope because they thought that there was no light. They looked in themselves and they found nothing, but God provides hope. Isaiah writes, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep, deep darkness, on them the light has shone. We think about these words, a number of, of words kind of stick out to us, don't they? Galilee, we think, well, Jesus, he ministered in Galilee. Uh, and that's, these are the words that are quoted uh, in the gospel to refer to Jesus, to tell us that this is exactly who Jesus is, exactly who Isaiah is talking about. And so even in the darkest of spiritual darkness that is all around us, unbelief, sin, idolatry, the light of Christ can shine even into the darkest of corners as it did in Isaiah's time, as it does for us today. See, there's no darkness that is so dark that the light of Christ cannot penetrate it. There's no sin that's too grievous that Christ cannot forgive, and there's no sorrow that's too deep that Christ cannot bring comfort. There's no wound that is too great that Christ cannot bring relief. That's our hope, right? That's our hope for Christmas. That's our hope of the gospel, that the light of Christ brings light into the darkness and transforms our gloom into glory. The hope that we take with us this Christmas is that the light of the gospel can penetrate even the darkest of heart. John tells us that the true light, which gives light to everyone, came into the world. And although, and all to who, who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And these are the words, once again, that Caitlin read to us. But sometimes we get overwhelmed by the world around us, the troubles around us, the darkness that we perceive around us, some real, some uh, imagined, but we can get overwhelmed. Sometimes we think that the darkness is too great to be penetrated by the gospel, and we'll be confronted by this. Some of us will be, con be confronted by this in the next day, days, as we're with family and friends who don't know Christ. Maybe it's someone that you know is just uninterested in talking about the grace of God. You've tried to talk about the gospel but it seems as though the light of Christ doesn't penetrate. Maybe it's someone who's embraced their sin with such intentionality that they just are closed off from even the subject. Maybe it's you, and you think that the things that you have done make you unable to be saved or forgiven by God. Maybe you're a Christian, uh, but you haven't lived your life pursuing uh, the things of God and said you pursued the, the pleasures of this world. Maybe you know in your head that you've been forgiven, but you doubt that the light of Christ can reach into the deepest recesses of your soul. You're plagued by guilt and feel like God would never be able to reach the darkest corners of your heart. 
But the hope of the gospel, the hope that we see in Isaiah, is that the light of Christ pierces the darkness. That's the hope of Christmas, is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. No matter the darkness, the light of Christ penetrates the darkness and gloriously overcomes the anguish of our gloom. So we see that the light of Christ pierces the darkness. The second thing we, we find in this text is that the victory of Christ brings joy. Victory of Christ brings joy. And that's another reason for us to have hope. As Isaiah writes, you have multiplied the nations and increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they're glad when they divide the spoil. Once again, as we saw even this morning, there's this imagery of a conquering king. Christ has won this great victory. For us, it's the ultimate victory. And on the cross, Christ has won a decisive battle. And so joy is increased. All who trust in him, every corner of the earth, rejoice because he has purchased forgiveness. Every corner of the earth. Jesus is the promised Savior, and so our joy is increased. Think of the hymn, how great our joy. For his people, he's broken the burden of sin. In verse 4, we read that the yoke of the burden, uh, of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, have been broken on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. We hear those words of battle and of war. We realize that it's a spiritual battle that has been fought. And the hope that we find in Jesus Christ is that there's no enemy. There's no enemy that can stand against him. The battle on the day of Midian that's referred to in the text refers to a battle that Gideon fought in, recorded in Judges 7. And what's so remarkable about that battle in Judges chapter 7 is it says that the armies were like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. We hear echoes of the language of the promise to Abraham that his offspring would be that much in multitude. Here now the enemies of God are surrounding them and there are more that could, that could even be imagined, that could be counted. And so what did the Lord tell Gideon to do? The Lord first told Gideon to reduce his numbers from 10,000 to 300 men. And what did each of those 300 men carry in the battle? Well, they carried in two things. One, a lamp, and the other, a trumpet. I think if you know the story, you know where this is going, right? That it's, this is not their battle to fight. This was the Lord's battle to fight. They surrounded the, the enemy's camp, and when they blew the 300 trumpets, the text in Judges says that the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army, and the army fled. In other words, it was the victory that God won, a victory that only God could win, only God could accomplish, and that is light piercing the darkness. It's a victory that Jesus Christ brings only. And so therefore, the victory in Christ that he brings, brings us joy. The third point that I see in the text here is that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is glorious. So we see the light of, of Christ pierces the darkness, the victory of Jesus Christ brings joy, and the kingdom of Jesus Christ is glorious. Only God could accomplish the victory necessary to redeem his people, and that is why God sent his Son. He sent God himself, Jesus, the Son, 
fight the battle. Isaiah tells us, verse 6, these familiar lines, unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. These words, Jesus, the son is the one who became flesh and dwelt among us. These verses tell us about the kingdom that he was inaugurating by the coming and the, one day, and the kingdom that he will one day bring to full consummation. He writes that the government will be upon his shoulder. We think, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, is that Jesus, as the conquering king, he is the one who carries the rule of his kingdom upon his shoulders. It's not upon his people, but it's upon Christ himself. And so we ask, okay, as the conquering king, what kind of king will he be? We find that answer in his name. As a conquering king, he rules over his people. It's reflected in the name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, the kingdom of Christ is glorious because our king is glorious. He rules in wisdom and power, care, provision, and peace. This is the king, kind of king that we need, not the kind of king that was asked for in 1 Samuel, but the king that the people needed. If you remember, back when we were going through 1 Samuel, the people asked for a king. They said, we want a king to be just like all the other nations. We want to be like them. And so God gave them Saul, who was a horrible king. But here we see that ultimately, one day, God's kingdom will be ruled by his son. He is the king that we need. This is the kind of glorious kingdom where joy is multiplied. It's the kind of kingdom where justice and righteousness are upheld forever. Jesus is the king that God promised to David that would sit on his throne forevermore. And this is the king that Saul was confronted by on the road to Damascus as he told his testimony in the book of Acts. He was confronted by the piercing light of Christ and his life was utterly transformed. See, Paul was on his way to kill Christians. He wanted to destroy the church. But in his grace and his mercy, the light of Christ reached out, pierced the darkness of his own soul, and gave him eyes to see, illuminated the truth, and allowed him to become a child of God himself. Verse 7 tells us that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. We think about the timing with this time forth and forevermore. Well, it's an eternal kingdom, yes, but what does it mean that of the increase of his government and of peace there'll be no end? Is his kingdom going to be increasing even in eternity? Well, what it means is that there is no end to where the kingdom of Christ touches. There is no darkness, there is no corner in which the light of Christ cannot penetrate. That's where we begin. That's where we began tonight. The light pierces the darkness. And that is our hope. The very final line of the, our text is that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And praise God that it is upon him. It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts that will accomplish this. As Christians, our hope rests on something far greater than ourselves and what we can do, what we can convince others to do. Our hope is that the light of Christ is what pierces the darkest heart. It's what convinces someone of their need for Christ. It's 
Our hope is that we will find our greatest joy in Jesus Christ. And our hope is that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is indeed more powerful and more worthy, uh, more worth living our lives for today. Our certain hope is grounded in the fact that the zeal of the Lord of hosts is the one who has promised it and will accomplish it. So as we close our time looking at Isaiah, I want us to remember that no matter what you are facing, no matter uh, who you are talking to uh, over the next days and weeks, the light of Christ can penetrate wherever you are. Whatever you're going on, whatever's going on in your own heart and whatever is going on in the life of the person. It, let's say you're trying to, you've been trying to share the gospel with a family member for years. They just, they just won't budge. Well, it's not as though you should say, well, I guess I've learned my lesson. Just remember that it's not you who convinces. It's the light of Christ that penetrates the deepest and darkest hearts. And so I pray that we as a people will approach Christmas in that same way, asking Christ to come into us and, and to go into our deepest parts and to expose our sin and help us to submit to him so that we can gloriously rejoice in him. And that if there are relationships that we're trying to reach others for Christ, that we wouldn't give up, but that we would go to Christ and ask him to do the work for us. That our conversations would be driven by our great joy that we have in him. On this, I want to close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God. We thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to come into the world as the light of the world. We thank you that you chose to expose our own darkness that we might turn to you. And just like the Apostle Paul, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have been turned from darkness to light. I pray that we would want that same joy for others. Help us to rejoice in what Christ has done and the glory of his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and one day his glorious return. Father, I pray that while we wait for your return, that you would help us to be faithful, to be lights in the world, reflecting the light that is in us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.